Amen. God is doing good things among us, church, and he's not finished. He's not finished. Good morning, everyone. Let me add my happy Father's Day to all the dads in the room. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you do. We are cheering for you. We are praying for you. The world needs dads who are following Jesus. So thank you. Thank you, dads. Well, as Amy said, uh, it's week two in our liftoff series. So excited about this series uh, from the book of Acts. Last week, uh, Mike Quinlan talked about how the Holy Spirit is our power source, just like those giant fuel tanks on a rocket provide the power for the rocket to launch. The Holy Spirit gives us power. And this morning, we're going to talk about the spark that ignites the fuel. We're going to talk about the ignition sequence that allows that power of the Holy Spirit to be made evident in our lives. And so in honor of Father's Day, I want to start by talking not about rockets, but about barbecue grills. Any grill fans out here? I know we all have different preferences. Didn't ask if there are any Aggies out here, but that just happens (laughs) all the time. I don't understand. All right. How many uh, charcoal guys are out there? Raise your hand if you're a charcoal guy. Okay. You like the smoky flavor of charcoal. How many gas grill guys love the convenience and the power? All right. Now, are there any big green egg guys out there? We know you talk bad about the rest of us behind our backs. Okay. Snobs. (laughs) Just kidding. I'm just jealous. I'm just jealous. I don't have a big green egg, but I do have charcoal and gas. I started on charcoal, but a few years back, my uh, family for Father's Day gave me a gas grill. And uh, it's pretty cool. I mean, with charcoal, you know, you have to start 30 minutes in advance, get the, the coals going. And that's fine and, and, and well and good. But man, with the gas, all you have to do is turn that knob and push the button. And all of a sudden, I have made fire. It's manly, right? It's manly. Well, love the gas grill. It was all great for the first couple of years. And then one day I turned the knob and pushed the button. Nothing happened. I put my ear down. I could hear the gas flowing. I could smell it, but there was no flame. You know what happened, right? So the ignition button had broken. I had plenty of fuel, but without the spark, the grill stayed cold. There was no heat. You know, usually you push that button and it's click, 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 click. But there was no clicking, no fire, no spark. And you know, sometimes I feel that way in my spiritual life. I mean, my tank is full. I I believe what Mike said last week, that the Holy Spirit is our power source. I believe what Scripture tells us, that at the moment of salvation, those of us who have given our hearts and lives to Jesus are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, and we have that power in us. But still, when I'm honest, I recognize that there are times when I don't feel like I'm living with that kind of power I ought to be living with. I want to live with faith and confidence, but I end up struggling more with fear and anxiety. I want to find my identity and my hope in Jesus, but I end up worrying more about what other people think about me than what God has done for me. I'm pushing the button, but nothing's happening. There's no spark. Is it just me, or is it possible that there's anybody else here who has ever felt this way, who knows what I'm talking about? I mean, you want to have a healthy, Christ-honoring marriage, but if you're honest, you're just getting more and more frustrated. You want to live a life of joy and optimism, but it seems like your emotional state tends to follow your circumstances more than your convictions. Maybe you want to overcome some kind of addiction or an unhealthy pattern in your life, but over and over it keeps tripping you up again. You want to live a life that's soaring into the stratosphere, but you find yourself stuck on the launch pad. 
Have you been there? If you have, I am so excited to share this morning's passage with you because in this passage, two followers of Jesus experienced some crazy, awesome Holy Spirit power by the grace of God. And we're going to look at this passage to find out what was the spark that led them to experience that power in their lives. And I think we're going to see that that same spark can help you and can help me experience liftoff as well. So I'll invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4 or pull out your phone. We'll have it on the screen as well. But while you're turning there, uh, I'll tell you the story we're looking at today takes up all of Acts chapter 3 and most of Acts chapter 4. And I would love to read the whole thing to you, but I know you have Father's Day lunch. And so we can finish sometime in a reasonable amount of time. I'm going to just do a high-level overview of chapter 3, and then we'll zoom in on the first part of chapter 4. Sound good? All right, so here's how it went down. Uh, The setting is it's a a few months after Jesus' resurrection. Jesus has ascended to heaven. The believers have received the gift of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And one day, Peter and John are on their way to the temple for afternoon prayers. And they pass through a gate, and they see a lame man asking for money. And let me clarify, he wasn't lame like my kids think my dad jokes are lame, all right? He, he couldn't walk. He couldn't walk, okay? And as Peter and John go by, he asks them for money. And Peter says something really bold. He says, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And remarkably, it happens. <laughs> it happens. Peter helps the man up and he starts walking. And then he starts jumping. And then he starts shouting and carrying on about... What God had done, and as you might imagine, this caused quite a commotion in the temple courts. And a huge crowd started to gather. And as Peter saw all these people coming up, he thought, you know, I think it's a pretty good time for a sermon right now. Which I agree, a good time for a sermon, Peter. And he preaches this bold, bold sermon about how it's Jesus' power that has healed the man. And how the authorities had crucified Jesus, but God had raised him from the dead. And that what everyone there needed to do was to turn from their old way of life and repent and give their hearts and their lives to Jesus. It was powerful. And that leads us to the passage we're focusing on today. So listen now as I read from Acts chapter 4 beginning with verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved." When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. May God bless the reading of his word. 
All right, so in last week's passage, Jesus told the apostles that the Holy Spirit would come upon them and he would give them power. And in this week's passage, this prophecy comes true in a major way. There are all kinds of Holy Spirit-empowered miracles in this text, but I want to focus on two this morning, two miracles. And the first one is pretty obvious. The first one is a miracle of healing. I'm calling this from lame to leaping. Now, if you've grown up in church, you can get a little bit desensitized to these kind of stories after you've heard them a few times. But if you step back and really think about it, this is remarkable. The text tells us that this man is over 40 years old and he's never stood up. He's never so much as taken a single step. And then with a word in an instant, 40 years of suffering is gone. The text says that instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And then as he began to trust those feet and ankles, he began walking. And then he began leaping. And then he began shouting. And all the people in the temple courts are amazed. Now, think about this. The text says that the man's friends brought him to the temple gate every day to ask for money. And so everybody in the temple knew this guy. Every single day when they came in and out of the temple, there he was asking for money. And now they see him jumping and carrying on about how good God is. I wonder if the words of Isaiah 35 were running through anybody's mind. Isaiah 35 is a prophecy about how God would come and bring salvation to his people. And, and Isaiah says that this coming would be accompanied by miraculous signs. Isaiah 35, 6 says, Then will the lame leap like a deer. And they were seeing it happen with their very own eyes. From lame to leaping, the power of God on display. It's just a miracle of healing. God's power. There's a second miracle in the story, though, and I think you have to look a little bit deeper to see this one, but it's no less remarkable. The first miracle is a miracle of healing. The second miracle I'm calling a miracle of boldness. A miracle of boldness from cowardly to courageous. And I'm talking about the dramatic turnaround that's happened in the life of Peter. Now think back to just a couple of months earlier. On the night that Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter was there. The religious leaders took Jesus to the house of the high priest where he was put on trial before a group called the Sanhedrin. It was just kind of like the Supreme Court of the day and before a man named Caiaphas. And uh, so Peter wanted to be near, but not so near that it was dangerous. And so he followed at a distance. And when they got to Caiaphas' house, Peter stayed out in the courtyard and a, a servant, a young woman, a, a servant of Caiaphas asked him, hey, aren't you with Jesus? And not only did he say, no, I'm not with him. He cursed and said, I don't even know the man. Three times. So with that picture of Peter in your mind, fast forward back to this passage. Peter and John are at the temple. Peter heals the lame, lame man. He starts preaching the super bold sermon. A huge crowd gathers, and this attracts the attention of the authorities. And check out what happens in verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. Okay, so these, these three groups are the religious leaders. The priests are like the pastors. The temple guard is like the, the temple police. And then the Sadducees, that was a group of uh, wealthy men who ran most of what was going on in Israel at the time. Theologically and economically speaking, they were the cream of the crop. Now, something interesting about the Sadducees is they didn't believe in the resurrection. I don't mean they didn't believe in Jesus' resurrection. They definitely didn't believe in that. 
but they didn't believe in anybody's resurrection. They thought that death was the end. There was no eternal life. And that's why they were sad, you see. <laughs> Don't blame me. It's in the preacher's handbook. It's Father's Day. <laughs> Have to use at least two dad jokes. I think that's all, unless one comes to me during the sermon. So anyway, these guys here, Peter and John, blaming them for killing Jesus, and they're mad. It's late in the day. They're not sure what to do, so they throw him in prison. And the next morning... They bring Peter and John before the Sanhedrin, including Caiaphas. Now, do you recognize those two names? Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, same exact people that just a few months earlier had sentenced Jesus to death and turned him over to the Romans to be crucified. Can you imagine how Peter and John must have been feeling in that moment, knowing what had just happened to Jesus? And remember, how did Peter respond last time when he was talking to a servant of Caiaphas? And now he's standing before Caiaphas himself and the rest of the Sanhedrin. So what happens? Well, check out verse 8. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, in other words, really? Are you really arresting us for healing a man who has been born lame? And then he goes on. He says, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is, and then he quotes from Psalm 118 here, that'll be important. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now, friends, it is hard to overstate just how bold this is. Remember, these are the most powerful men in the land. Wealthy, influential, educated. And instead of acting like the defendant, Peter goes on the offensive. He's like the prosecuting attorney here. This is a scathing rebuke of the religious leaders. Peter and John, poor working class guys with no formal education, are standing in front of the preeminent scholars of the day and just letting them have it. Peter's saying, look, you guys were wrong about Jesus. You thought you could stop him, so you turned him over to be crucified, but that wasn't the end because God has raised him from the dead. And more than that, now God has turned him into the cornerstone of a brand new kingdom that God is building. By the way, a kingdom that would replace the shadow kingdom that you guys have set up for yourselves. This is so bold. And I think it's amazing that Peter uses scripture to make his point. Remember, these are the preeminent scholars of the Old Testament scripture. And Peter has the chutzpah to use scripture on them. And not only to use scripture on them, but he tells them that they're interpreting Psalm 118 wrong. See, these men would have assumed that that, that cornerstone was Israel. And Peter is reinterpreting this passage and saying, it's actually about Jesus, who's the fulfillment of the true Israel. He's telling the scholars how to interpret Psalm 118. This blows my mind. This is so bold. It's like me walking into the American Airlines Center and challenging Luka Doncic to a game of one-on-one -on -one and saying, let me show you how to shoot a step back three. It's like challenging Gordon Ramsay to a cooking competition and say, can I just touch up your flambe technique a little bit? This is a miracle of boldness. The, the man who cowered in fear in front of Caiaphas' servant is courageously standing up to Caiaphas himself. It's a miracle of boldness. 
So, here's the question. How in the world did this happen? How did the man go from lame to leaping? How did Peter go from cowardly to courageous? Well, remember what we said last week. The Holy Spirit is the power source. And verse 8 confirms this. It, said, it says, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus had promised would happen. But still, here's my question. What was the spark? What was it that allowed Peter and John to fully experience this power of the Holy Spirit? Because like we said at the beginning, all of us who have given our hearts and lives to Jesus have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, but too often we find ourselves living without the full extent of his power in our lives. So that's the question. What was the difference? What was the spark? This question reminds me of an old story about Sunday school uh, that I love. You may have heard it before. It's a group of third grade boys uh, and their Sunday school teacher asked them, boys, I have a question for you. What has four legs, brown fur and a tail, lives in trees and likes to eat acorns? And little Johnny raises his hand and says, you know, it sounds a lot like a squirrel, but I'm going to say Jesus. Because <laughs> Jesus is always the right answer in Sunday school, right? Well, honestly, sometimes the answer really is a squirrel. But in this case, little Johnny's right. The answer is Jesus. Jesus is the spark. Or said another way, Jesus starts the ignition sequence that leads Peter and John and you and me to experience liftoff. Jesus starts the ignition sequence that allows us to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that sounds a little generic to say Jesus is the spark, so I want to get specific and practical. In this passage, there are two things that Peter and John do that allow Jesus to serve as the spark that leads to liftoff. And both of these are empowered by grace, but they are a choice on the part of Peter and John. First thing they do is make Jesus primary. They put Jesus first. They recognize him as most important, most valuable. They make him primary. Now, they do this all throughout the story. In chapter 3, when Peter healed the man, did he notice he didn't pound his chest? He didn't do that Superman reveal thing that athletes sometimes do? No, he said the exact opposite. He said, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we'd made this man walk? It's in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can see. And then the next morning in front of the Sanhedrin, he says the same thing. He says, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that this man stands before you healed. They're saying, look, it's not us. We're not primary. It's Jesus. He's primary. And not only do they give Jesus all the credit for the healing, Peter goes on. He says, he says Jesus is not only the source of physical healing, he's the source of spiritual healing as well. He transitions from talking about this physical miracle to the miracle of salvation. Acts 4.12 is one of the most famous and most important verses in the entire book of Acts. It says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given to mankind by which we must be saved. He's saying it's not just physical healing that comes from Jesus, it's spiritual healing as well. It's not just lame to leaping, it's sinful to forgiven. It's broken to healed. It's spiritually dead to spiritually alive. And he says Jesus isn't just a source of spiritual healing. Did you catch this? He said he's the source of spiritual healing. There's no other name, not Caiaphas, not the Sanhedrin, not Peter, just Jesus. My friends, this is so important, so key. 
Because when it comes to faith in Jesus, far too often, we tend to make Jesus secondary instead of primary. We want Jesus, but at our own pace. Yes, Jesus, I want you in my life. If you could just kind of sit right there and I promise I'll let you know when I need you. And we give first place to our family, or our career, or our hobbies, or our political party, or our ethnicity, or a whole host of other good things, good things, gifts of God that were never meant to be ultimate. Now listen, listen very carefully. I'm not here to judge anyone here today except myself. I have, just to be transparent, this has been super convicting to me over the last two weeks as I've prepared for this message because far too often, far too often, I allow the gifts of God to take the place of God in my life. Far too often, I can see Jesus through the lens of my other things in my life instead of the other way around. But here's what I know. I know this from personal experience and I know this from scripture. Until we flip that around, until we see everything in our life through the lens of Jesus' lordship, until Jesus is primary in our life with no rival, we will never fully experience the full extent of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives as God intended. To make Jesus primary. Jesus said it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then the beautiful promise and all these things will be added to you as well. When we make Jesus primary, everything else falls into place. There's one more truth in the passage I want to share with you. One more thing that Peter and John did that allowed them to experience liftoff. And honestly, it's the whole reason I wanted to preach on this passage today. I love this so much. Uh, The second thing they did that let them fully experience the power of the Spirit is to seek Jesus' presence. The whole two chapters is an amazing story, but this, this is my favorite part. Check out verse 13. It says, When they, the religious leaders, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. I love this so much. The text is saying this miracle of boldness was not lost on the religious leaders. They knew these were just ordinary guys. They were fishermen for crying out loud. They should have been shaking in their boots, sandals, I guess. You know, the Sanhedrin was used to people cowering in fear in front of them. But instead, these men were filled with courage and they were astonished. And then my very favorite part, look at the rest of the verse. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. They didn't have a formal education, but they'd been with Jesus. They didn't have money, but they'd been with Jesus. They didn't have political influence, but they'd been with Jesus. They didn't have social standing, but they'd been with Jesus. These were ordinary guys, but they had been with Jesus, and that made all the difference. Friends, Spending time in the presence of Jesus is the catalyst for liftoff. That is what allows us to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's what allows us to experience that power that Ephesians 1 says is the same power that that God exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead. It allows us to experience that power that Ephesians 3 says is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. 
Spending time in Jesus' presence is what provides the spark that lets us live in the power of the Spirit. Dads, I want to speak to you for just a minute today. What better thing could be said about you and about me than for people to look at us and say, that man is bold and it's because he's been with Jesus. What better thing could be said about us today? May that be true of you and of me. Later on in the passage, the authorities command Peter and John to stop speaking and teaching in Jesus' name. And I love their reply. They say, as for us, look, we can't help it. We can't help speaking about what we've seen and heard. You see it? They've spent so much time with Jesus, it's changed them. They've become a different person altogether. Their boldness wasn't because they were just courageous on their own. No, they were bold because they'd been with Jesus. The reason that they said so much is that they had seen so much. The reason they were living like Jesus is because they had spent so much time living with Jesus. You ever noticed how two kids that spend a lot of time together at school tend to start picking up on each other's vocabulary and mannerisms? The same thing is true in our walk with Jesus. As we increasingly spend time in his presence, we become like him. Now this is so important, so crucial, because it's tempting in the Christian life to think, I just gotta try harder. I just gotta be stronger. I just gotta be more self-disciplined. Well, newsflash, (laughs) we're not strong enough. We're not strong enough. You can't be disciplined enough on your own. You can't try hard enough to be like Jesus, but what you can do is decide to spend time in the presence of Jesus and let him take care of the rest. You can make a commitment to spend time in Jesus' presence in corporate worship and in a grow group. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. And listen, I know this has been tough during the pandemic. I get it. But I'd just love to encourage you. Would you make it a commitment to regularly be in the presence of Jesus in worship and in Bible study? You know, you can spend time with Jesus by reading and meditating on his word each day. You can spend time in Jesus' presence by talking with him in prayer, not just in your time of devotion, as important as that is, but throughout the day, when you're in the car, when you're in the office and someone says something frustrating, when you're with your kids and you're trying to figure out how to parent, when you're laying in bed at night, spend time with Jesus through prayer. And when we spend time in the presence of Jesus, we will begin to reflect his character and the spark of his presence ignites the fuel of the Holy Spirit and our lives and our churches lift off the launch pad. Friend, like Peter and John, you may be ordinary, and I know I am. You may not have a lot of money. You may not have a lot of influence. You may not have the experience you wish you had. You may not have the courage you wish you had. You may not have the discipline you wish you had. You may not have the strength you wish you had. You may not have the worldly success you wish you had. But let me tell you something. If you've been with Jesus, what you have is enough. If you've been with Jesus, you can go from lame to leaping. If you've been with Jesus, you can go from cowardly to courageous. If you've been with Jesus, he can do more in you than all you can ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. VRBC, let's be real. It's been a tough year. It's been a tough year for us individually. It's been a tough year as a church. I know you're tired. 
I know you are. I know you can be easily discouraged. I am. I know sometimes it can be frustrating, even in a church setting, to look around and say, gosh, there are fewer people here than there were before the pandemic. I know when we look outward, it seems like in so many ways our culture is turning its back on God. But church family, our best days are not behind us. Our best days are ahead of us. And as we follow Jesus together, as we make him primary, as we seek his presence, I believe we will see the power of the Holy Spirit poured out on our lives. I believe we will see the power of the Holy Spirit poured out on this place and people will look at us and say, they've been with Jesus. I want to have a time of response and commitment now. And just want to give us all the opportunity to make this personal. You know, in my own life, uh, when I'm not experiencing the, the power I wish I was in my life, most of the time it can be traced to, to these two things. Most of the time it can be traced to the fact that I've allowed something else to crowd Jesus out of the number one position in my life. I haven't made him primary. Or maybe I have um, allowed the other distractions of life to keep me from seeking Jesus' presence through scripture and prayer and worship. I can feel the flame getting smaller. I wonder if there's anyone else here who is feeling like that today. If you are, I just want to tell you some good news. Jesus is here. Grace is here. Jesus is here with his arms outstretched, waiting for us to return. Morning by morning, new mercies I see, the hymn says, and his mercies are here. They're fresh today. Jesus is waiting for you to make him primary. He's waiting for you to seek his presence. He's waiting for some of you today to make the decision for the first time to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. Please don't let this moment pass by without saying yes to Jesus. Jesus is waiting to fill our lives with the power of the Holy Spirit and to help us soar off the launch pad to the life he has in mind for us. If you are ready for liftoff, friend, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the spark that ignites the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Thank you for your grace. Nothing that we have done, nothing that we could do, nothing that we will ever do will make us worthy of your love, but it is your choice your grace, your mercy to reach out to us and to place the new life, the life of Christ inside of us. May we this morning open our lives fully, completely to the power of the Spirit through the spark of Jesus and may you be glorified in us. In Christ's name we pray.